So I know we're spending a, lo- a long time on the covenant that was made with Abraham, um, and there's a reason for that which will become clear as we go through this series. But in our, in our more recent studies of the covenant with Abraham, we've really concentrated on um, describing the character or the nature of this covenant. But tonight I want to turn to the specific content of the promises that God made in this covenant with Abraham. Um, of course, have already touched on the content to some extent while we've been describing the character. Um, but I really want to f- delve into more the specific promises and how they're fulfilled through the rest of the Bible, through the rest of redemptive history. Of course, this isn't the first covenant God made. We know that. We've been studying other covenants, haven't we? Made previous to the one made with Abraham. Um, And the revelation contained in the period uh, of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob specifically is a continuation of the promise of a kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the promise of redemption, the promise of a redeemed people that we first come across in Genesis 3.15. You should all know that verse by heart by now, the amount of times we've spoken about it. And also um, put in a different way in the promise um, uh, about Japheth uh, coming into the tents of Shem made to Noah in Genesis 9. And then there were all these other oracles that we've studied prior to the appearance of Abraham in Scripture. All these are a build-up of this gradual revelation of the plan of redemption. But you know, the root or the source of all these covenants, all these oracles, all these sayings, um, all these promises of the final kingdom of God... um, they all find their root in this one essential truth, which I think is unique to Reformed theology. I don't think you find it in any other understanding of the Bible. That right from the beginning, the whole point of creation had a, had a, a, a purpose and a goal in mind. An eschatology, to use a, um, a big word, the Greeks used to use the word telos, which means the final goal, the purpose, the destination of something. And, you know, in most, um, in a lot of um, books about the Bible, um, eschatology, the doctrine of the last things, is stuck on the end as, as something which is added on right at the end, um, almost as an afterthought. But, you know, in Reformed teaching, eschatology, the, 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 the goal of all of creation towards the new heavens and the new earth comes before salvation. Salvation was, in other words, eschatology precedes salvation. And we've studied this before, that were Adam and Eve to have obeyed, if they had done all that which God had meant them to do, then at some point through their obedience and through fulfilling the mandate to 
to multiply and to fill the earth and to subdue it and have dominion over all the creatures at some point without the need of salvation um, the new heavens and the new earth would have ushered in the goal of creation would have um, come to pass and that was symbolized in the garden of eden wasn't it as we studied in the earlier studies that was symbolized through the seventh day the sabbath day and the tree of life those were symbols pointers to the goal of creation to enter into a final state of everlasting glory where man would go beyond probation would go beyond the covenant of works to a point where it would be impossible for man to sin you see man was made perfect in one sense sinless but he was not made <clears throat> without the possibility of sin he had the potential to sin you know that because he did sin but you know in the new heavens and in the new earth in the final goal of creation which we read of in, in Romans 8 and other places sin will be impossible there will be no possibility of, for anyone to sin Adam was not in that condition and that's why I said before in many ways um, the Christian in paradise in the eternal paradise is in a better condition than Adam and Eve were in the garden of Eden so that's really the key, in my view. This, this is not the only way of understanding the Bible, but by the way, there are other ways of understanding the Bible. But this is the Reformed way. If, if, it's not a very, very good way of putting it. But this is the most common way the Bible is taught in Reformed churches or Reformed theology. There are other ways of reading the Bible, but this is the one that I think is the most helpful and it's distinctive. Mankind and the whole cosmos are heading um, towards a goal. You see, God's plan has not changed. Sin came in and ruined man. The, the new heaven and the new earth could not be ushered in um, to sinless man because man sinned. But God's plan has not changed. It's still his plan that this old world, this, this creation... And his redeemed people will consummate. That all things will reconcile in Christ. And there will be a glorious... It will be like a transfiguration of the cosmos. Where everything will... Um, almost like a transfiguration. Will The new heavens and the new earth will usher in. But the difference is that now... God's plan has to come through his plan of redemption the covenant of grace indicated or <clears throat> very much forwarded by through the covenant with Abraham it could not come through the covenant of works with Adam there had to be a last Adam the Lord Jesus Christ he had to come and do what Adam should have done as, the, as our representative head but what Adam the first Adam could not do the last Adam did and in Christ um, through his work you see 
in a sense, we are still saved by works. We're saved by the covenant of works, but it's not our works. It's Christ's work. He fulfilled the covenant that Adam broke. Someone had to do it. It had to be a man and it had to be God because it, it had to be someone who was sinless and powerful enough to be able to keep the law. But it had to be a man because man fell. And uh, Adam was the representative head. The Lord Jesus is our head. He's the, la the, the last Adam and he represents us now to God. So that's really um, a little bit about what lays behind all these different covenants. And there are other ones that we're going to come, we're going to, come to in due course. But they all have that underlying aim through redemption to fulfill God's initial and changeless plan um, so we can put it we can put it this way the garden of Eden was the kingdom of God it was the holy place we could say Eden was the holy land um, and it was there that God dwelt his presence dwelt in Eden he ruled it directly, so it was a theocracy. It wasn't a democracy. He didn't have a, a meeting with Adam and Eve and say, you know, what, what, what are you, your, your views on what we should be doing? God's word ruled. It was a theocracy. Um, it was a paradise. And in this holy theocratic land, um, there dwelt priests adam and eve were priests they were kings queen if you like they lived in a covenant with god and they were told to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the lord they were to do this through procreation they were made in the image of god and in his likeness they were made and god said go into the world and multiply make other um have children who will also bear my image and the idea was that over time that they would fill the earth with the image of God that the whole world would be like a temple filled with the image of God and they would be replica replicating the image of God through all the world but we know that Adam brought ruin upon the human race but as I've said the goal was, has not changed the telos of humanity has never changed. And I want us to understand before we progress that there's a unity between the original goal of creation and all of God's covenants, and particularly with this covenant with Abraham. Um, and we see this unity, this connection between Eden and the um, covenant of grace, the gospel if you like, um, in, in many ways but particularly when, even when we, when we fast forward to the end of the story to Revelation 22 we see there that um, heaven, the ultimate heaven and earth are described like an Eden like a, like a garden paradise it says in Revelation 22 1 and 2 and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. 
In the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river was there the tree of life. So the tree of life reappears at the end. I know this is symbolic, but it's still interesting that these images are there. Which bear twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And then in verse 3 we read of um, Eden-like conditions prior to the fall of, or, or sin. It says, and there shall be no more curse. This is what we are, this is going to be the final state, the final state of, of the redeemed. There shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face. Well, that's exactly what it was like in Eden. They saw God's face. Um, in a theophonic way obviously God is invisible but it seems that in some way he, he, God was able to, to walk in, in the garden they were able to commune with him and you know in the end we, there will be this Eden like um, restoration of communion with God and so the covenants of God and the redemptive promises and the oracles um, that we've studied so far and, and this covenant that we're studying now is the revelation of God's plan leading to this new Jerusalem to this final goal which was the original goal of all creation that's really the story of the Bible if you can understand that in some way then you've really got the key to the whole of the Bible um, it's that <coughs> It's that understanding that all things are headed in the direction that God first put the world in. It's not changed. He's just now doing it through redemption because man sinned. And the essential elements of this salvation plan, as I said at the beginning, are given in Genesis 3.15 and in 9.25-27. God promises... The restoration of a covenant relationship between himself and his people and that they will be identified with his name. They will be through the line of Shem. There will be warfare against Satan and his people. Um, warfare between the seed of the church, the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. There will be the ultimate triumph of the Messiah the seed of the woman ultimately narrowing to an individual who we know is the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the worldwide spread of the covenant blessings through the line of Japheth, the Gentiles. And all these elements of God's plan of salvation find continuity in the promises God makes to Abraham, which we read here in these three verses in chapter 12. So with that prologue, if you like, we then now come to the promises of the Abrahamic covenant, noting as we have the continuation, the, the link with the original goal of creation. 
in summary, the essential promise of the covenant with Abraham was that Abraham would be blessed and that he would be a blessing. That's the essential summary of it. The ultimate blessing we know, of course, was Christ. And it was by receiving the blessing that Abraham would become a blessing. Genesis 12, 2. And I will bless thee. Just those, just those simple words. Genesis 12, 2. And I will bless thee. That's the heart of it all. God's blessing. And the nature of the blessing is God making Abraham and Abraham's people great. You see, there's a link between greatness and God's blessing. God will bless in such a way that God's people will be a great nation and have a great name. They will be the object of blessing and themselves will be a blessing to others. Um, you see, Abraham's covenant, the covenant of grace, um, as I've said, is linked to the original blessing which man threw away. But in Eden, man was the subject of God's blessing. He was assigned a, a place of great honour. He had a great name. He was, in a way, he was a great nation. And the, I know it was a, a really called a nation, but because God blessed the first, or the first humans, they were great. They were assigned a place of great honour. Um, and through the blessing of Abraham, he was to be great. He was to be made great and become a blessing to the whole earth. Adam and Eve were, as I said, were meant to multiply and subdue the earth, to have dominion, to spread out into all the world, to multiply the image of God. And in the Abrahamic covenant, likewise, the world would be blessed. The blessing that was poured on Abraham through his seed would go out into all the ends of the earth. There was to be a fullness of God's blessing. And when the earth was full of the glory of the Lord, a great transformation and consummation would take place, which we now know is the second coming of Christ and the ushering in of the new heaven and the new earth. So... In this Abrahamic covenant, we see, we see more clearly than ever that what Adam failed to do through the covenant of, <clears throat> of works, God will still bring to pass through his plan of redemption. And this, I think, is why this idea of multiplying of having dominion, of spreading out, of, of dispensing the blessing. This is why I think there are two um, really important, important elements to the promises made to Abraham. There were two, weren't there? There was seed, in other words, descendants, and there was land, seed and land, or people and territory were the two um, important elements of the promises to Abraham. In Abraham, all the families of the earth would be blessed. Um, there was going to be, um, as I say, first of all, a, a, a people coming from Abraham, a seed. 
And this was the oracle, first of all, promised um, through Noah's blessing on Japheth, probably even greater than the original promise to Japheth, um, where said, God will shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. And we know that in the fuller light of Scripture that it would be through Christ who would be born through the nation that would come from Abraham and his seed, and particularly through the particular messianic line that the blessing of Abraham would come to the world. This is why Paul says in Galatians 3.16, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not unto seeds of as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. So therefore it is through Christ that the promises made to Abraham find their ultimate fulfilment. And you know, tonight, the, the, this, the, these, this bless, these blessings, and I'm going to say a bit more about them, these blessings come to you and I today. If we're Christians, the blessings that came to Abraham flow to you. The blessing of Abraham is your blessing. Because all those blessings find their ultimate fulfilment and conveyance in Christ and through Christ. Abraham would be blessed. I will bless you and make you a blessing. Well, how, do, how are we blessed? Ephesians 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. It is in Christ that you and I are made a great nation. Did you know that you're part of a great nation? Well, you are. Not, not the UK. I mean, it's great in some ways, but not in, not in this way. 1 Peter 2.9 But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Abraham was, it was promised that, that through Abraham and his seed that they would become a great nation, a holy nation. Well, that's you and I. That's the fulfilment. A peculiar people, a purchased people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. You see, all these promises are, are fulfilled. It is through Christ that we are restored to our rightful position and status in creation. Adam and Eve, they were, they were God's vice regents in a way. They, they were top of the tree. They, they, were, they were royalty. They were priests. But they lost their status through sin. Well, do you know, in Christ, by becoming a Christian, our, our position, our status, our rightful status is restored. It says in Revelation 1, 5 and 6, Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You see, the people of the world, they want to think that they're, they're apes or they're, 
some kind of animal. God, God says we're kings and priests in him. We, we, he restores us to what we should be. And that's the way we need to consider ourselves as Christians. Not that we're important, but that, that, that we are living as the, in that kingly and priestly way that we were first created to be. It's in Christ that you and I are given a great name. God changes our name to reflect our new standing with him. This, always, this happens right through scripture, by the way. A Abraham was promised a great name. Well, Abraham becomes Abraham. He's given a new name, isn't he? Jacob becomes Israel. Uh, Yehadiah becomes Solomon. Sarai becomes Sarah. Argumentative to princess. Saul to Paul, Simon to Peter, Joseph to Barnabas, the son of encouragement. You see, when God gets hold of us, when he blesses us, when we enter into his covenant, he changes our name. I mean, our name with him. I mean, I might still be called Rod, but really, he gives us a name because we're utterly changed. Revelation 2.17 He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna and will give him a white stone and in the stone a new name written which no man knoweth saving he that receiveth it. And in the 12th verse of chapter 3 it says Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. It's through Christ that we receive the inheritance of righteousness through faith, God promised wealth and riches to Abraham. Abraham, Paul says, received a promise that he would be heir of the world. Romans 4.13 Not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. And it comes true to you and me. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, Paul says, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. That's true of you. Because you're subject to the blessing of Abraham. Romans 8, 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. You see, you and I are, are come into an inheritance. We're heirs. Paul preached among the Gentiles, he said, the unsearchable riches of Christ. All the wealth that was poured upon Abraham and through his seed come to us. The riches of not camels and gold, but the riches of Christ. Unsearchable riches. Wealth and riches, an inheritance, greatness, blessing, a holy land, a holy worldwide people. 
were all promised to Abraham and through, through the womb of Israel and the messianic line, the seed of the woman, the Lord Jesus Christ, um, gives to anyone who will receive it the blessings of Abraham, uh, who Paul calls the father of us all. You know, when, um, when Zacharias, the father of, uh, of John the Baptist, uh, went into that um, prophecy after he, he wrote down his name will be called John on that tablet and his tongue was unloosed. You can see that he immediately understood what was going on with Christ in this, in this way that we're understanding the Bible tonight. You see, he knew that, the, that in God's purposes, the Abrahamic covenant was coming true. That it was being fulfilled in this baby, this, this baby Jesus. In Luke 1 verse 70, it says, As he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies, and from the hand of all that hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham. Do you get that? He's looking at this baby and he's saying, look, this is God remembering his covenant. This is God remembering his oath. You remember we spoke about that oath where, where God walked through the divided animals and that oath he took upon himself that he would keep this covenant. And Zacharias is saying this is God. This is evidence of God keeping his oath and his covenant. Which he sware to our father Abraham. The blessed Mary herself said in Luke 1. He hath holpen his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spake to our fathers to Abraham and to his seed forever. She knew that the son that she was bearing was Abraham's seed, was the seed of the promise, that long prophesied Messiah. Now, that this, dear friends, is the big picture story of the Bible. If you can somehow get your heads around this you'll understand it's always easier to understand anything isn't it if you understand the big picture the details can follow but this is the essential storyline and from a practical point of view if you are in Christ if you're a Christian tonight you are subject to the blessings of Abraham but like Abraham you are also to be a blessing you receive a blessing but you are to be a blessing. And if we're truly Christ and part of his church, we will be a blessing. Um, you see, as in the first covenant in Eden, there was, there is, well, there was then a mandate to fill the earth, to multiply, and through having children, extend God's image to the whole earth. So in this Abrahamic covenant, God, now through redemption, says in Genesis 35 and 11 he says he says this to his church he says 
And he's saying this to Jacob, but really speaking to the church. He says, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins. Abraham was to multiply into a great nation. Now, we have to remember that the, the outworking of these promises, um, and I'm not going to try and be too complicated tonight because we've spoken about this before. When we study this covenant, when we study the Old Testament generally, we always have to remember that the fulfillment of, of these Old Testament covenant promises um, take place at two levels and I've, I've tried to explain previously we can call it the literal level if you like or, and, and then the spiritual level if you like or we could say the typological level um, and the level of fulfillment or we could say the temporary and the eternal level but there we have to bear that in mind when I, in the following things that I have to say Bearing that in mind, we, we notice and we see the realisation of the promise, this promise of multiplication into a great nation. A lit, first of all, a literal nation. God had said that this people would be as numerous as the dust of the earth. It's a lot of people, isn't it? That this people that would come from the loins of Abraham would be as the stars of the sky, of the sky, and as the sand of the seashore. God had said Abraham and Sarah would become father and mother of many nations. And there was a literal fulfillment of this. A real, actual but typological fulfilment. And when we say typological, often people think that means not literal, but that's not how typology works in the Bible. There, <clears throat> there was a literal fulfilment that spoke of a bigger, more spiritual reality, as we'll go on to see. And we see this working out in Scripture. First, we see Abraham's descendants multiplying in Egypt, don't we? God delivers them and he plants them as a nation in the land of Canaan and they grow. God said that Abraham's, would, would, his descendants would grow to the point where they'd be like stars in the sky in number and it begins right away almost. The, the, the multiplication begins. It develops, he develops the 12 sons of Jacob into the 12 tribes of Israel. God had said to Abraham, following his obedience in relation to Isaac, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gates of thy enemies. Now we know God fulfilled that literally, didn't he? Under Solomon, in 1 Kings 4, we read that Judah and Israel were many. They were as many as the sand which is by the sea in multitude, eating and drinking 
and making merry. So we know from scripture in itself that in a literal way God fulfilled his promise to Abraham. 1 Kings 4.21 it says, And Solomon reigned over all kingdoms from the river unto the land of the Philistines and unto the border of Egypt. God had promised Abraham land. The land was fulfilled. The land came. It was realised. When God appeared to Solomon and said, <coughs> and appeared to Solomon and said, Ask, what shall I give thee? Solomon, before he asked for wisdom, says, Now, O Lord, let thy promise unto David my father be established, for thou hast made me a king over a people like the dust of the earth in multitude. You see, so God had kept his promise at the literal level. But we know from the fuller light of Scripture that God had promised to enlarge Japheth, the Gentiles, and he, that they would dwell in the tents of Shem. We know Jew and Gentile would dwell in the same tent. And you know, there's very little evidence of fulfillment of this aspect in the Old Testament. There's a bit. But we know that there must be more to come. There's some. There is, uh, for example, we read of a woman called Rahab, who is blessed because she changes her allegiance from her old God to the God of Israel. Well, she was a Gentile. Uh, we read of Ruth, who became a follower of the God of Israel, but the very, very few and far between. Most of the blessing was contained within the line of Shem. But we know that the fullness of how this blessing was to multiply through the whole earth, to, to break beyond the boundaries of Israel and to, to Japheth and all the, the, the Gentiles, that that really only began to come about in a significant way until the Lord Jesus Christ is born. Jesus is identified by Matthew as a descendant of Abraham, as Christ, the Messiah, God's unique saved son and saviour of the world. And the Apostle Paul, as we've mentioned before, identifies the seed of Abraham not, not on the basis of Jewish ethnicity, but on the basis of election, of an individual election. A remnant. This is this Paul teaches, and I'm not going to have time to go through the verses we, we have read them before he talks about the remnant um, that came that was in, in, in existence the elect remnant of God in existence before Christ and after Christ the true Israel made up of Jew and Gentile alike the spiritual children of Abraham all like Abraham made right with God by faith and not works. That is the true seed in a spiritual sense. At this higher fulfillment level, that is that they, you and I really, are the seed of Abraham. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, slave or a free man or woman, it doesn't matter what you are, as long as you're in Christ. 
And our Lord, <clears throat> the true seed of Abraham in the sense of the Messiah, in the new covenant, in the new testament, the fulfilment of the Abrahamic covenant continues. The, the, the initial covenant made with man in the Garden of Eden, it, it continues the, the um, command to multiply made to Abraham. And what does he do with his church? He does exactly the same thing. He commissions his apostles and disciples to go forth and make disciples of all nations. He says, go and forth and multiply and subdue and have dominion over all the earth. It's the same thing. You see, God's plan never changed and is fulfilled in Christ. In the Acts of the Apostles, the gospel spreads through Israel, through all the, the towns and villages of, of Israel. It makes its way to the Samaritans. Um, makes its way to the uttermost parts of the Roman Empire and through the centuries it spreads to multitudes, doesn't it, of language groups, of tribes and nations. It spread in obedience to Christ's command. People have gone into all the world. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. That is God. This is God's redemption. Enabling man through the last Adam to be fruitful and multiply, to replenish the earth and to subdue it. As Christians, as the church, we are to do what Adam and Eve were meant to do which is to be his image bearers into all the world. And we replicate God's image through the preaching of the gospel, people being born again, becoming Christians, little Christs if you like, and being sanctified and being made and restored into the image of God. And God's image is spread through all the world, just as it was supposed to have done through Adam and Eve. And you and I are to be his image bearers into all the world. That's our destiny. Through Christ, the image of God can be restored in every single one of us. Well, that's what's happening if we're a Christian. God said, make, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. They were to rule. They were to be God's vice regents over all creation. And that is still God's purpose. But now he does it through his church. He does it through his covenant of grace. Restoring the image of, the image of God in men and women, boys and girls. Making them new creatures in Christ. Sending them out as part of the church to reproduce the image of God into all the world. Until the earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. As the waters cover the sea, and at some point when the gospel is spread to all the earth, then the end will come. And the final consummation will take place. The new heavens and the new earth will usher in. And we will reign once more with him. Like the Israelites in Egypt, 
Uh, we are freed from slavery and brought into a holy land. We don't fully possess it yet. The Israelites um, didn't really fully possess Canaan. They were still, they were still um, always enemies. They never fully conquered Canaan, did they? Canaan, the type of the eternal city yet to come. But like Israel, God dwells in the midst of us. Um, there's more I could say about the land. We probably have said enough. I don't want to send you to sleep. But there's much we could say about the promise of the land. We've really only spoken about the promise of the seed. But you know, the wonderful thing you and, we, you and I need to understand tonight is that God's purposes never fail. He keeps every single one of his promises. He does it in a mysterious way. His, his, his wisdom is mind-blowing. You could never have made this up, could you? What a way of doing things. But you and I are in the very centre of his purposes. We are the seed of Abraham. I will bless you, he says. We are subject to his blessing. Our responsibility is to be a blessing. We be a blessing by spreading the gospel, witnessing to what we know to be true, and through this, all the, all the earth, all the world, one day, will be filled with the knowledge and the glory of God. All of Israel will be gathered in, all the elect. And then the end will come, and you and I will be part of it. It's our inheritance, and it's our blessing. And may you be encouraged tonight <clears throat> as you think of that. Amen. Amen. Feel free to contact us at Sovereign Grace Church in Tiverton. Email us at grace2seekers at gmail.com. That's grace2seekers at gmail.com. Alternatively, you can visit our website at www.sovereigngracereformedchurch.co.uk.